Well, it's a joy to, to be with you this morning, and it's also a joy to um, see some folks that are connected to other folks that are connected to other folks that we know that have been family to us for many years. It's nice to see uh, Kim Sharp here this morning and, and some others that go way back, and Edgar and his dear wife, they've been part of Covenant Light for years and have been here for a long time. So it's, it's a joy. So just greetings from El Shaddai. It's a little interesting because just yesterday I stood right here and I had the privilege to lead worship for El Shaddai and then just get to move over here and, and share a message from, from the Lord uh, in his word to you guys. So I'm, I'm extremely humbled and honored and grateful and I just wanted to commend um, your leadership here, um, certainly Albert, um, that the humility, the desire, the shepherd's heart that he has for you, um, he really, really wants to see the fullness of the kingdom of God and the extent of the gospel impact on our lives just become evident more and more and more. He's articulated that to me. I'm, I'm honored because my gifting is um, I'm still exploring the fullness of what God's called me to do. He's utilized me in the areas of evangelism. I'm not quite sure that's my primary gift, but it certainly is something that um, God has um, put on my heart and I hope is able to equip you uh, both this week and next week. So I just wanted to um, thank you for that. But before I, before I start getting into the Word and, and really get into the meat of this, I want you to understand that God has a perspective. There's two perspectives in the world, okay? The first perspective, of course, is what we see and what we do. Uh, it, it, it interacts in our lives, our family, our community, and we see things through our natural lens. And of course, by the Holy Spirit, we see things through the spiritual lens. But the, the most primary perspective is God's perspective. What does he see? What is he trying to show us? And then our responsiveness from our heart is to say, Lord, show us your perspective. Show us your heart. We want to have a heart after you. We want to see what you see. And so I want you to just understand that around you right now, in the community, in the city of Frederick, God is at work. There are 38 congregations right now that are praying 24-7 under a prayer canopy, Praying for God, for the kingdom to break forth in Frederick. Praying for revival to come to the people of God. This is happening right around us. And the Lord is inviting us into that perspective of, of what he sees. We're seeing other folks come together. We had 18 churches regionally and locally come together for what we called Life in the Park. Over the summer, from the beginning of summer to the end of summer, we just finished. Every Saturday night in Baker Park just proclaiming the gospel, going out two by two to evangelize, worshiping. We had worshipers there for the whole time. And just the gifts of the body coming together from different places just to be out of the walls in the community and working together. And it was beautiful what the Lord is doing. And I believe why this is happening and it's becoming more prevalent, not only in Frederick, but is growing across the United States, is because of God's perspective. And it's never changed. God's perspective has never changed. I just wanted to share that we are in America, and thank you, Luke, for sharing about Indonesia. We think about the persecution and the challenges that it is for brothers and sisters across the world to be able to share their faith, just to, just to be who they are. 
and the challenges that come with that. But I can promise you that America right now, this nation who has had so many freedoms, we're watching the statistics. Pastors are on their face and they're saying, the church is essential more than ever. We know that, but what's essential for the church right now? Help us, Lord. Give us wisdom. And that's why we see Albert and Matt and others seeking to combine and come together and, and equip and strengthen one another because the mission has never changed. And it's only growing. And so I just wanted to share a few statistics with you from the outset and understand that Hebrews chapter 12 talks, it starts out, it's an interesting chapter. I'm just going to make a couple points on that. He talks about the, the sphere of faith, those that have gone before us. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Those that have gone before us, those that have shared their lives, been a, a, an example of the kingdom of God and walked by faith. And we see that he transitions from that, that place to moving into keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And then, then he moves us into this place of he disciplines those that he loves. And you're like, wait a minute, where is the Lord going with this? He challenges. And then he ends the chapter by saying that he will shake everything that can be shaken so that what cannot be shaken will remain. And our nation is no exception. You see, God's vision and his heart and his perspective has never changed. He came to redeem and to save a world. And he came to, to, to change and return and restore the fallenness of sin and the effect of sin on us. So according to Barna report that just came out last year, um, there were 10 key areas, um, especially through COVID, that the Barna group had put together. And I'm just going to share a couple things with you. Um, depression, anxiety, homelessness, we could go on. Addiction are at all-time highs in our country. They're up 93 and 65% respectively, anxiety, depression and anxiety, according to the Medical Health America, in terms of calls in, especially during COVID. Domestic abuse, murder, violent crimes are all up. And that's just in the world around us. But in the church, for the last 20 years, practicing Christians, those will be defined as believers who actually attend and participate in a local congregation. Attendance has dropped nearly half from 45% to 25% of those that are committed. Atheism and agnosticism has doubled from 2003 to 2018 in the same time. 50% of millennials have bowed out of church online or in person during the last year, year and a half. 50% of that generation. Roughly half of the pastors in America feel limited in their ability to address these social realities for fear of offense or simply feel the pressure to speak out on issues they are not comfortable or feel equipped to deal with. That's the state of our country right now. But you see, God sees and he has a perspective. And the plan hasn't changed. And that's where we come in. So I'm going to start this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 61. This is Isaiah the prophet foreshadowing the work of the Messiah. And what's interesting is Jesus steps in on the scene after being tempted in the desert. Filled with the Spirit, he begins to enter back into Galilee. 
He, he comes to Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue and he picks up the scroll during the time when, when men would come in, rabbis and teachers, and they would share from the scroll. And he quotes these very words from the book of Isaiah, starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I want you to picture Jesus standing in Nazareth in the synagogue. Open air, air blowing through the windows. He stands up, he pulls out the scroll that has been read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Can you imagine that day Jesus walks in and he proclaims, this scripture today has been fulfilled before your eyes. Let us pray. Father, we desire to honor you. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that only you can open the eyes of our heart to enlighten our hearts to your perspective, to your heart. God, today, aside from everything that we know, everything that we have learned Seal those things which God cannot be shaken in us and reveal your plan, Lord God, to restore and to redeem and to reconcile people who have, are sinners and fallen into sin, Lord God. Every last one of us born into this world, born into a nature that is hostile to you and against you, that can't see your perspective. But we thank you, Jesus, that you came you came, Lord God, and the Spirit of the Lord was upon you to proclaim good news to the captives. You've done that for us. And God, it's not just for good reason that we feel good about ourselves. God, it's not just for good reason. We thank you. We are on our knees in thanksgiving. May that love motivate us, Lord God, today to see in the eyes of another who is lost and blind. God, that maybe... Just maybe, God, you've called them to faith. You've called them to experience eternal life. This is eternal life that you know the one true living God and he whom he has sent. So God, today I pray in this message that you would please, please, Lord God, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see Jesus. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to speak about evangelism, but I do want to just mention to you that the word evangelism from the Greek, it has a couple different connotations and a couple different meanings. So 
as to when we hear that word, we get automatically, there's certain words we hear and it just, our minds start to go to a particular image. What is evangelism? We're like, well, it's for those folks and that and, and all. But I want us to understand that the word evangelism is the very word that we just read in Isaiah. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's, that means he came to evangelize. He came to witness to. He came to testify. He came to preach, to proclaim publicly the year of the salvation. The year of the Lord's favor. See, when we use that word, all we're doing is saying this is our proclamation. This, we are a witness. We're witnesses. Israel was a witness to the salvation plan of God. The church is a witness to the salvation plan of God. We are witnesses independently, individually, and collectively. Those that have been filled with the Spirit and recognize our Messiah Jesus as our Lord. That's what evangelism means. It's not just an event. It's not just something we do. It's not for the special. Now, there is a gift of evangelist. Those are called to come and equip. Equip the body for the works of ministry. So we have that distinction. But all of us are called to proclaim, to share, to witness to, to testify to who the Lord is. So this morning, I'm going to look at three topics. This is a topical message. I'm not going to exegete a specific passage. But we're going to look at three topics to help understand the perspective of God and his call in our lives as sons and daughters. The three topics are going to be vision, the second is identity, and the last is mission. And I think in that you'll see what God wants to do to remind us of who we are, God's heart from the very beginning, and who we are in him, and what he has called us to do as a result of that reality, that perspective. The vision is the heart of our Savior and why he came. Luke 4.43 says, I must proclaim, I must witness to, I must preach, I must evangelize the good news. He doesn't stop there. The good news of the kingdom. Because I was sent for this purpose. And then he says in Matthew 4.17, he says to all that are listening, repent for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is near. As we look at our identity, we're going to talk about our union in him. And then in our mission, we're going to talk about our response. John Piper said this about evangelism. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to have a love for the lost? This is a term we use as part of our Christian jargon. Many believers search their hearts in condemnation, looking for the arrival of some feeling of benevolence that will propel them into bold evangelism. It will never happen. It's impossible to love the lost. You can't feel deeply for an abstraction or a concept you would find it impossible to love deeply an unfamiliar individual portrayed in a photograph, let alone a nation or a race or something as vague as all lost people. Don't 
wait for a feeling of love in order to share Christ with the stranger. You already love your heavenly father and you know that this stranger is created by him but separated from him. So take those first steps in evangelism because you love God. It is not primarily out of our compassion for humanity that we share our faith or pray for the lost. It is first of all love for God. God has a perspective. The Bible tells us that we love because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19 He also said, for God so loved the world. Don't you love that, how scripture is so intentional? Now, God loved the world, kind of a passing thought. No, God so loved the world. He did something. He gave his own son. The Hebrew word for love is ahavas. Say it with me, ahavas. Some of you may know that. The word, Hebrew word for love, ahavas, means to give. So it's an interesting in the passage that for God so loved the world, he gave. For love to be complete, see, we heard John Piper talk about this abstraction. Okay, in, in a Greek mindset, much of our culture has derived from it, our, our philosophies have derived out of that, is, is very abstract. So when we say the word love, sometimes it's a feeling. Look at our culture. Sometimes it's an idea, an emotion. But that's not how it was pinned in the original text. The Hebrew word ahavas is very concrete. It's not just abstract. It holds an abstraction to it as well, but it's rooted in something concrete. It has a verifiable reality that's undeniable, love. But it always has a corresponding response. In order for love to be complete in the Hebrew sense, in the biblical sense, there has to be a concrete reality. In this case, God is love, eternal And then there has to be a corresponding response to that love for it to be biblical love. That's why he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey me. See, Jesus is just, he is the Messiah. He came to fulfill the perspective of God, to reveal the kingdom of God. And so we see that love, in order to be true love, not cultural love, not the love of maybe even sometimes it might be a surprise to us. But I think we understand the concept that true love will always lead to a corresponding response. That's what makes it true love biblically. We see that because the Bible, the revelation of God is a seamless revelation of God's pursuit of mankind to salvation. From creation to the covenant of Abraham for calling out a people, a seed that would come from Abraham's uh, loins through promise that would be our Messiah. And a light to the nation, salvation would come. To Sinai, to revealing his betrothing love to Israel, calling them. You know, we, we get caught up on the law a lot. And I'm giving you all this as a foundation and a backdrop. We get caught up on the word law a lot. God 
how else can a God reveal his moral reality and attributes and character? He had to say, if you want a covenant with me, if you, if you accept my terms of covenant, if you want to know me, well, this is who I am. I'm not hiding. I am holy. I am righteous. I am pure. And I'm inviting you in to betroth you to me. And so here's what it looks like. And he calls them to himself. And he tells Moses, I want to be their God and I want them to be my people. Go tell them. This Exodus 19. And Moses goes, hey, God wants to be our God. He just liberated us with signs and wonders and power. And he wants to know, do you want to be his people? And they said, we will. There was a betrothal made. There was a betrothal made right then. God has always been seamlessly pursuing and revealing his love for us. Culminating, culminating in a incarnation of God the Son in flesh at the right time while we were in sin. Christ died for us. The peak, the peak <laughs> giving of the Son, the 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 highlight, the penultimate reality of God's love given to us on a cross, a cruel Roman cross where he dies for us. And his work didn't stop because he not only died, but he rose from the dead to ensure that we have victory and we can appropriate that love. We can appropriate the power of the kingdom of God, which he came to proclaim, so that we too can then be the instruments to bring forth that love, that covenant, generation after generation after generation to those that don't know. So again, as as Piper so skillfully and carefully reminded us, this isn't about our good feelings. This is about the love that we have received and we are compelled to give and to show for that is true love. This is the vision of God. And God does everything. Everything he does, every plan that he has revealed, every covenant, every promise, both now until the end, has been motivated by love to those who are called according to his purposes. Every single motive of God is love. It's for us. That means when we're going through difficult seasons and we're being challenged as we are right now in this nation, as we are in our own lives, because God loves us, he is conforming us into the image of his son and he will not relent because no one else will do it for us. We cannot save ourselves. That's why there was a sacrificial system because no man would stand before God and say, I saved myself. Every single year, every single feast, every single time we read in Scripture, a sacrifice had to be made because no man will boast before God that their sacrifice or their life was worthy of merit for their own salvation. You can't save your own skin, but we can look to the source of the one who has saved us. The greatest commandment in Scripture We see it in the book of Deuteronomy. We see Jesus echo it. The greatest commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your heart, all your might, all your soul, all your strength. And Jesus says in the second is like it, in fulfillment, there's got to be a response. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
and so sum up all the law and the prophets. It goes on in Deuteronomy. Teach these things to your children. Speak of them when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand, on your forehead. Let they be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let it be said that these words, you shall love the Lord your God with all that you are. May that be the, the penultimate reality of your life. The love of God. Why? Because he first loved you with real love. And he's committed to you to see you presented before him spotless through the blood of his Messiah, through the blood of Jesus. He's committed to present you blameless in that day. Two perspectives do we see when we go through our trials and challenges and what God is doing now to bring us into this place of conviction to want to share the story, the reality, not just what we know, but who we are because of who lives in us. This is God's vision. It's never changed. It's a kingdom vision. He came to proclaim a kingdom. So, God's perspective is to see a fallen world rescued, redeemed, and restored. I know I was with my wife, and she said, Lord, what do you think about my wife, Nicole? What do you think about what's on your heart? She was just sincere. She'd just been trying to summarize it all. What, what's your heart, Lord? And she was falling asleep, and she had this, just this picture in her mind. You could call it a vision. She just had this picture. And it was this beautiful bride adorned, waiting for a wedding feast, waiting for a consummated wedding. There's this beautiful bride. And she started to tear up. She goes, that's what you think about? Yeah, that's you. You are always before his eyes. You are his heart. And he's inviting you to join him in this mad, crazy reality of love. That's who we are. I had two heart attacks. Um, and this was about five years ago. Interesting timing of, of the transition and a big transition from where I was even in leadership and theologically to even where I'm at in a Messianic congregation. But there was a transformation that took place in me. And please hear me, I do not want this message to be simply informational. Please take notes. My prayer has been that it's transformational. Because we got enough information, we need that information to transform our hearts and our lives. But I remember one morning I got up after that and I, it was early morning and I heard the Lord say, Gabe, you know nothing. And I was like, you know, Lord, I've had a hard time. It's been a, this has been a hard trial here. I almost died, you know, and you know nothing. But like a good father, he doesn't leave you there. This is what I heard. Clearly, clearly it wasn't audible, but in my spirit, I heard him say, Gabe, you know nothing. But what I have revealed to you and I started thinking, you know, that sounds simple, but the profundity of that reality has transformed my life. You're right. It doesn't start with me. It doesn't originate with me. God reveals his love. He reveals his plan. And he didn't stop there either. He said, not only do you know nothing and I, you only know what I revealed, he says, but when I reveal, 
I invoke a response. And he was trying to teach me that all the information that we've learned and that we know is not for safekeeping here. It's to transform our lives so that we look like and model his heart for this world. We have been transformed. And I want us to lead uh, into my second point. We are reminded that the Bible says in Matthew 24, Jesus speaking of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Some theologians will also agree that he's also referring in the latter parts to the end of the age. But he says, in those times, the love of many or most will abundantly, that's the other Greek word translate, will be abundantly cold. It'll wax cold. It's like a cold, freezing wind coming over the heart. And then he says, through Paul and Timothy, he said, in the end, men will become lovers. We're lovers. It's all about love, right? We're lovers. It's our nature to love something. Lovers of self. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That will mark our age. And boy, can we see it. Lovers of self. It's whatever I feel. I feel this way. I emotionally feel this way. I connect this way. I relate this way. It's my truth. It's his truth. It's her truth. The gospel the good news, and that good news that we talk about all the time, came actually out of, um, was most in the culture spoken through as being something tied to the wedding. It was like the highest good news. We're engaged. We're getting married. It's, it's, it's the greatest news. It's the, the penultimate. I'm using that word a couple of times. It's the greatest news that can be said. That's that's how culturally they would do that with areas like marriage or just any, any type of topic, anything that was just high, amazing good news, great news. So we hear the gospel and we realize this is the highest good news. That love provides the strength. And this love for us provides the strength to endure and face anything. The benefits of what Jesus has done on our behalf And I just feel like um, it's important for us to, as I move into the second point, which is identity, it's important that we understand that this good news, this, this gospel message, the gospel of the kingdom was the heart of the Lord. And he's called us into as sons and daughters in that kingdom. I want us to understand a couple things. I'm going to take a couple minutes on this. As salt and light, and that's what Jesus said we are. We are salt and light in the world. Okay? He also says in Timothy, Paul writes in Timothy 3.15, that we, the body, the church, is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So, I want us to go back and when we're talking about perspective and revelation, I I hope this serves you to kind of dial in on our relationship with the Lord. In John chapter 18, 
Jesus is going to the cross and he's, he's before Pilate. Pilate asks him a profound question. And if you want to turn there with me, it's um, John chapter 18. We're just going to read a couple um, passages. We're going to look at um, verse 33. Now, I want you to remember the context we're in right now. We just talked about the vision of God and God's perspective, that he came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Verse 33, John 18. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say this about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests, have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have just been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Four chapters earlier, Jesus reveals himself to his apostles, and he says to them, I am the way, the truth. And the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. In Matthew 16, we see Jesus ask an even more profound question. He's with his apostles. And I want us to understand that Jesus had left um, southern region and went up north to Caesarea Philippi. It's about a 30 mile distance. I mean, it's, it's a long journey. Why, why, why is that significant to what I'm about to tell you? Because in Philippi Caesarea in the first century was a cave, was an area called the Gates of Hades. It's where they thought was the entrance to the underworld. And so Jesus took his disciples there and he said this, who do they say that I am? Well, they said to him, some say John the Baptist or some say Elijah the prophet. And Jesus asked them this question, who do you say that I am? And then Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. This this is revelation, Peter. Flesh and blood, this didn't come from you. This didn't come through men's means and wisdom. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven revealed this to you. And upon this reality, upon this confession, upon this truth, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell, standing right there by the gate of Hades, will not prevail against it. 
That's the context in which Jesus spoke those words to his disciples, to his apostles. He's saying something very powerful. He's saying that truth comes by revelation. It's not just a bunch of series of statements and facts and concepts and abstract ideas. No, truth is more than that. Truth has a name, and his name is Jesus. It's important that we understand this. Why? It's because our identity, as we read, as I mentioned earlier in 1 Timothy, is that we as the church, as the called out, as the chosen, are the pillar and foundation of the truth. If truth comes by revelation, then all of those out there in the world that have not seen him nor know him do not know truth. Why do they say my truth, their truth, her truth, their truth? It's because of this. They haven't had an encounter with truth. We have. And we have a wonderful privilege to share it. We have a wonderful privilege to proclaim it, to evangelize, to, pr- to, to witness to it and testify to the truth because truth has a name. I'm going to say it again. And what did Jesus say? You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outer parts of the earth. I'm going to read one last passage and then we're going to move on to the last point. Let's go to the book of Ephesians real quick. I want, us, so I want us to understand that evangelism, witnessing, is not a, for a special group. It's responsiveness to the love that God has revealed to us. It's because we're in him. We're in a relationship with the living truth, with the one who has redeemed us. In Ephesians 1, I want you to hear this carefully as I read because I want you to pick up how many times you hear the word in him. This has to do with identity. This has to do with who we are, those of us that are born again of the spirit, whose spirit of God, Holy Spirit lives in us. What does he say? I want us to identify when you hear the words in him and I want you to recognize the amount of and the magnitude of the love of God that has been given us, the gifts that he has given us, that were given to the Son, that he imparts to us, so that we can be salt, light, and a reflection of love and truth to a world who is blind. Let's start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins and trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Can you say amen with me? That's who you are in his eyes. Adopted, redeemed with an eternal inheritance, undefiled, imperishable, kept in heaven for you. Don't feel like it? It's not the question. What does the truth say about you? What is the truth? We have to understand this reality of identity if we're going to be effective in sharing our faith. Now, I want you to hear this very carefully, what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. When the Spirit of God calls a man or woman to himself and that person places their faith, absolute dependence and trust, absolutely everything in him, he receives these gifts, these blessings, namely salvation and eternal life and everything that's credited to the account of Jesus is now accredited to your account because he gives and he gives and he gives because he is love, God is love. Are you with me? So he gives us all of these things. And when a man and woman has been transformed, he gives his promised Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth, who strengthens us. So we once were darkness. Wow. It's not like you you were a little dark. No. We once were darkness, but now you are light in him. See, there's no distinction. Jesus lives in you, the hope of glory. See, Paul says in 2 Corinthians last chapter in 13, he says, test yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Do you not realize that Jesus lives in you? Unless, of course, you failed the test of faith. What's he saying? He's saying to us that when we acknowledge the reality that not only were we once darkness, but now our sins have been completely wiped away, past, present, and future. We are a new creation in him. We have union with him. Our identity no longer is that person, that old person that's dead, but as Romans 6 says, we are dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus. We have to understand this identity part because you're not going to go out with good feelings, as John Piper said, and go proclaim the truth. The truth is alive and real. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-double-edged sword. It penetrates the, the heart. 
This is truth. And so it's important that we understand if we simply see ourselves as only sinners, we sin, we fail, we forget, we need to be reminded, we need to repent. But we're not the same as we were when we were darkness. We're covered by the blood and we need to see ourselves not predominantly as a sinner because what does an artist do? Paints. What does a carpenter? He builds. What does a sinner do? But what if you're a saint? What do you do? So both can work together in the sense that a sinner is someone who sins. We do sin, so we're a sinner. But in the perspective of God, is that our true identity? Is that what we just read? Just be honest with me. No. Our true identity now is sons and daughters. And we want to act like the reality of the one who lives in us to manifest his glory in the world. Reason why we talk about sin, it reminds us of our dependence. Reminds us that we need a savior every moment of every day. But we can't forget what he's done for us and who we are because of his work. We don't get the credit. We don't get to, to, to wallow around in self-pity anymore. We don't get to de- disqualify ourselves from the Great Commission to the kingdom that he called to proclaim. Am I making sense? So let's transition. Last point as we wrap up. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, as we said earlier. This is the kingdom assignment for sons and daughters. I'm going to make one last point on our mission. You only see the word church mentioned by Jesus two times. Matthew 16, we just talked about it by revelation, right? I will build my church. The Greek word is ecclesia. It's, it's more, it, it means those chosen and called out, but it means the, a governing authority. It means, it means God's ambassadors. It's, it's, it's a whole other realm of faith. People who live by the Spirit and faith encompass the reality of his kingdom. He came to preach the good news of the kingdom so that people's lives would be transformed and absolutely transformed by the love of God, receiving his greatest demonstration of love, the cross, and are walking in resurrection life by receiving the Spirit of God as well upon our confession. This is important that we recognize that the word ecclesia is so much means so much more than some of the later translations that appear in the Bible. I'm not going to get into that. It's a theological thing, but it's important to note that words have been evolved from the original Septuagint text to even the Tyndale Bible, which uses ecclesia in every case. Jesus is not just saying, I'm, building, I'm going to set up a building and have a bunch of people hang out. That's what I'm getting to. That's not what the original language denotes. It denotes a people who have been translated from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of his beloved son. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of heaven. And they are able by that power and that relationship and love to give that love, to complete the reality of that love to a world that has no concept or clue. That's our mission. The mission, the kingdom assignment is as sons and daughters of a king. And I'm going to end with, with our, how many know the Great Commission? I want you to catch something on the Great Commission. Sometimes we don't see this. Matthew chapter 28. 
Now, the 11 disciples, this is verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Watch this. But some doubted. I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. They, they saw him. He had died. They heard the report that he was resurrected. These are his disciples, the 11. They're about to receive the great commission, their call in the kingdom. And it says, what? And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. From that place, from that truth, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, teaching them in, in the Gospel of Luke, that word when this is mentioned in terms of the sending out, it's the same word to evangelize, to witness, to tell, to proclaim, to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Sometimes we think about sharing our faith and we get petrified. Next week, we're going to talk about the challenges we have to doing so. We're going to have some practical um, things that we can do as a community, as people of God individually, as couples, as families, to recognize and meditate on these realities of God's vision for us, of our identity in him and what he's called us to. And you're going to find that there are common distractions and fears and all kinds of things that the enemy has worked so in his mind valiantly and maybe even effectively but we're going to expose those, as Ephesians 5 says, we're going to expose and we're going to look at the truth, who is Jesus. And we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts so that our attitudes and our hearts, the attitudes of our hearts are, I just got to tell somebody. See, the kingdom is not a list of suggestions and rules for us to follow. Kind of like pulling up on a stop sign and going, eh, it's a suggestion. No, but it's, it's more than that. It's, it's, it's a complete and consuming rule motivated by a God of love. He's, he's not an evil taskmaster. He wants us to experience the joy of our salvation. So we're going to talk about those things. We're going to have some analogies. We've got a couple videos. Uh, and, and we're just going to explore the privilege we have as sons and daughters, and not just individuals. But this community, you guys, the power in this room, it's not about you. It's about the one who lives in you. But there's enough to put all the devils in Frederick just from this room. And we, we, need, we need one another, and we certainly are, are seeing God bring the body together, different groups. I mean, El Shaddai, we've partnered together, and we'll do more. And, 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 and Matt, and I know Matt, um, coming together with the community, even exploring greater partnerships, God's starting to say, come together. See, all this hinges on, on the byproduct. He says to the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, the apostle, to equip the body for good works until we all attain the unity in the spirit. Till we all come together. Till we're a formidable force. Now, I don't know what that looks like, etc. but I can tell you right now, this nation needs to see the light 
of the church needs to see our light shining, the pillar of truth rising from the cornerstone, rising up, speaking up, living out loud our faith. So I just want us to have a little bit of application right now. And in, in order to do so, are we, are we good for a couple more minutes? Okay, we're okay, I'm, I thank you. I want to read one more chapter because we started with God's perspective and I want us to end with God's perspective and I want us to understand, please hear these words from God, not in any condemning way because see, here's the truth. For those in Christ, there's no condemnation. Am I right? So you can feel condemned, but it ain't the truth. You see the principle applies? Isn't that good? That's good news. You might feel like, ah, because a lot of times our tendency in our American culture is just to start by looking at ourselves and not start by looking at him and what he's done. That's what I want to impart this morning. Look at your identity. Look at your adoption, your redemption, and your inheritance. Let that, let that reality, those gifts, say, I am a child of the Most High God. Oh, I'm probably the weakest one of them out there, but I am, and I'll give everything I got for the one who's given me everything that's opened my eyes, that's given me peace. I'll never be alone again. I'll never be without hope again. Let's turn to Isaiah 58 as we close. This is a powerful set of passages. God's speaking to Israel, but I think if you look at not necessarily this community, um, but if, again, if the Holy Spirit convicts you, it's a gift. Conviction is a gift. Repentance is a gift. It means we get to turn from what's hindering and sin that so easily entangles, and we get to turn and face the most beautiful face we'll ever see. And that's a loving father that's saying, come, come. That's repentance. It's a good thing. So let the Holy Spirit speak to you personally as I read this passage. But this is the perspective of God in God's heart. We started with Jesus saying he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came to, to set the oppressed free. And I want us to hear that's Jesus's prophetic message, his message when he first came on the scene and opened the scroll. And I want us to see this in Isaiah 58. It says, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness. And did not forsake the judgments of God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you don't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and hit with the wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such a fast that I choose God's perspective? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread sackcloth under ashes under him? Will you call that a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, 
to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then, (laughs) then your light shall break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. I want to pause there because I believe what the Lord wants us to see as believers in this generation, at this time, in this country is that our nation, as much as like a frog in a boiling pot, you know that analogy, you kind of just are in there and you don't even realize what's happening around. John MacArthur believes and has preached regularly now that he believes this nation is under judgment. And as Roman 1 says, God is turning us over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. The things that we're seeing in government, the way people are responding, they can't see, to think it's reasonable to to even change the definition of marriage. We could go down the list. I'm not making a political spiel here. But understand the signs. Understand what we're talking about. God's speaking to this and saying, hey, this fast, this this act of dependence of your life, who do you depend on ultimately? Who are you depending on? What does your dependence look like? Is it just to draw near to God and do our our thing? Do our religious thing, etc.? Or is God calling us to a kingdom mission that is far greater than being spectators and just listening to a good message every now and then? We need that. We have to have the message. We want to worship. We need to pray. We need to keep doing that with refreshment and perspective of heaven. You understand what I'm saying? But it's not good enough to just go through the motions and expect different results. We have a nation that's dying. It's critical red alert time in the United States of America. And the answer is us. There's no second, there's no, uh, uh, what is the word? Um, there's, thank you. No plan B, no second. We're it. So look around, just look around the room real quick. These are your brothers and sisters. Yeah. If he before you who can be against you greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world he promised to present you before his father he will do his part he's calling us today to wake arise O sleeper arise from the dead and christ will shine on you arise shine this is the chapter right before the declaration we started with arise shine for your light has come has come. Isn't that amazing? So I want to leave us with the, with the thought that we have to see transformation in our hearts and lives, and it's not going to come religiously. It's going to come through relationship and revelation. Maybe it's time for some of us, honestly, to say, Father, I've been through so much. My mind's clouded. This whole, all these events, what's going on? There's no shortcut for just going before the Lord and not looking at yourself hopelessly because he doesn't. See, he's already provided your greatest hope in himself. He's already provided everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. 
you have the righteousness of Jesus to your account. You are new creations. Those of you that have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, who have been baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit when you made that profession, you are that salt. You are that light. You have that inheritance. You are his. And he just says, join me. Join me. I came to proclaim the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, to set the oppressed free. This is a fast. This is what your dependence on me will turn into and look like. So I just want to close and pray for us. I'm going to pray. And while I pray, if there's any of you here, honestly, that feel like you just need God to touch you, you need to repent, maybe return. Like I said, it's a good thing for maybe some attitudes and thoughts about who you are and what God's called you to and the heart and compassion that Jesus has for the lost invites you to his heart. Then just, just, just come up, please. We want to pray for you. If, if, if you just need empowerment, just empowerment. I just need God to strengthen me. I, I've been too preoccupied with my circumstances instead of the living truth. I've been looking too much at my own navel and my own feet and, and my circumstances. I'm forgetting what has already been purchased. Come up. And if you've never received Jesus as Lord of your life, please do the same. This is an invitation. I'm going to pray, and you just, as the Lord leads. If no one comes, that's fine. But please, be honest with yourselves. Be honest with the Lord. He loves you. I don't care what state you're in. He invites you to come. He invites you to look to him. He invites you to salvation. And the journey just begins there. So we're going to talk about that next week. I hope you all make it back. We're going to get real practical. All right, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your kingdom and your plan is so much greater sometimes than we even understand and know that you are the way, the truth, and life. No man will ever come to the Father except through you. And it was your intention and purpose to reveal the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, to break the pressed free, to break every chain, to separate every yoke, and to restore, to restore and redeem our lives from sin. And so, Lord God, we thank you that in the end, Lord God, you're going to return for your bride. And we want to prepare ourselves for that day. We want our oil and our lamps lit. And we want to be ready together as a community, running with others in this community in Frederick, running for the kingdom and revealing the truth. For we are the pillar and foundation of the truth, Lord God. We want to rise up in this hour, God, not being religious people, but people that are in relationship with you that have been transformed by your very gospel. God, transform our hearts even now. Call those, invite them to come, Lord God. And we just thank you once again that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, bless each one here today. Speak to their hearts. Speak freedom, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.